Ricky, I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, I'm glad you felt led to share with us what you did. I struggled this morning, um, couldn't quite get satisfied, and uh, sometimes when that happens, I'll just turn to a psalm, and I landed on a psalm and didn't quite understand it, but maybe I do now. Uh, Psalm 111, Psalm 111, for those who want to turn there, we'll be there the whole time. As I've mentioned before, one of the the joys of um, pastoring is that um, I've really had to learn the scriptures better than I ever did before. I have to be studied, I have to be uh, in it, and one of the great joys that I've had over the years is really looking at a variety of different psalms, and um, we've looked at um, the psalms of ascent, or your subtitle might say the psalms of degree, degrees, talking about uh, the series of psalms that generally were sung on the pilgrimage back to Jerusalem uh, for Passover. We've studied some others individually. Uh, we even looked at um, a psalm recently that we think uh, Christ sang very likely uh, at the conclusion of the Lord's Supper before he went out to be crucified. And we know that probably based on Jewish customs, and that's a few psalms, uh, a few psalms over. But I want to look today at Psalms 111. Reads as follows, Praise ye the Lord, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out all of them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will, never, he will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are variety and judgment, and his commands are sure. They stand fast forever and ever, and are done in the truth and uprighteousness. He that redeemeth unto his people, he hath commanded his people, his, sorry, He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. It's the entire chapter of Psalms 111. And as I mentioned, I think it kind of makes sense with the testimony and the praise that we had this morning. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright, and in the congregation. You see, this psalm gives us instruction, multiple levels of instruction, and it starts as many psalms do and concludes as many psalms do, both praising the Lord and reminding us that we are to do the same. Now, there are a number of ways that we can certainly praise the Lord, and my thought ran through many this morning. We can praise Him by singing. We can praise Him by giving a testimony. We can praise Him by fellowshipping with one another. We can praise Him by giving a good hug or a word of encouragement to someone else. We can praise Him sometimes by being silent. No matter what we do, if we're giving honor and glory to the Lord, we are praising Him and we are encouraged and, in fact, I think commanded and appropriately so to give praise to Him in all circumstances. We should give thanks to the Lord. And I wonder how often we fail 
to do that? How often are we silent? How often do we refuse to give praise? How often, even in the difficult or the seemingly mundane things in life, do we fail to give Him honor and praise and glory that He so richly deserves? Because it doesn't say that we praise Him in the good times. It says that we just simply praise Him. Which means even in the bad times, even in the okay times, even in the down, in the up, no matter what the circumstances are, we are to praise Him and to praise Him with a whole heart. I think this is critically important. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes we have less than a whole heart and we give God honor and praise, and that's okay, but we should praise Him with a whole heart. I think that means we should really mean it. That really means that we should step back and think about all that God has done and all that God is doing, all the promises that we'll talk about in a minute of God, and we should give Him praise with our whole heart, not just with our lips. It's very easy just to say, praise the Lord. It's something different to actually mean it with your heart. I think that's what this scripture is saying, that we need to do this and we need to be constantly doing this. And where do we need to do it? We need to do it here in the congregation, in the group. We need to do it individually with other people. Now, it's kind of hard actually to translate this because it says in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. It's not necessarily, I don't think, based on what I could find, it's talking about two different places, as much as it's saying um, the same idea, that in the presence of God's people, we should be praising Him. We should be giving glory and honor. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do that when we're not in the presence of God's people, but all the more important, when we are assembled together, when we are together, whether that's a group of the youth who went sledding yesterday, nobody broke their bones, good job, or whether that's when we come together at church, or whether that's when we break a meal, or whether two or three are gathered, we should be giving God praise and honor and glory for what it is that He's done for us. It's vitally important, and it's important that we not only say these things out loud, but that we join in praising with other people. This passage talks, as we carry forth, numerous ways about remembering what God has done for us. And one of the best ways to remember is to what? Is to speak about it. We find this through our lives many times. If we take something and bottle it up and we never express it in some ways, it's hard to remember. That's why for those who are in school, or maybe those of us who remember school, we remember little tips and tricks like actually taking notes, writing down what you're experiencing, or perhaps saying it out loud. Those are important ways that we learn. And you know what? If we want to learn and remember and be able to praise what God has done for us, we should be doing the same. That's why I bought everybody journals a few years ago, because I want you to write things down. That's why I encourage you to listen to the daily audio Bible so that you hear what's being said. That's why, really, if you want to really study the Scripture, you should probably get alone somewhere and speak it out loud on occasion. That's why we should give praise and worship to God out loud, both in public and in private. And that's why it was shared this morning. It's certainly okay to pray to the Lord silently, but there's something about praying out loud sometimes, isn't there? When we're down on our knees and we're serious, talk out loud, talk to God. Praise you, the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and the congregation. That sets the stage for what follows in this beautiful psalm. He continues and says, The works of the Lord are great. Sought out all of them and have pleasure therein. This is a, a two-part phrase. It's telling us that the works of the Lord are great. I know that it can be 
difficult to get around in the snow. I know that it's exceptionally cold for this part of Tennessee. But was it not beautiful? Was it not a work of the Lord to look out your window and see the beauty of this strange, white, frozen water that blankets the earth? Does it not give you almost a sense of renewal? I think not only was it the fact that maybe many of us were shut up for a week and we didn't get out very much, that we came here, we're exuberant and happy this morning, y'all talked and greeted each other longer than normal, perfectly fine, happy to see it. But I think there comes with this season, as the brother mentioned before, this idea of God's uh, blessing on us and this awaiting for this newness that will come in the spring. And so we can look across at all the things that God has given us, both creation and all the things that are here, and we can truly praise Him and think about how great He is. We can study things to no end and be amazed and marveled at them. If any of you have ever really learned a small thing really well, studied something really well, do you not see the amazing works of God in it? Do you not look at a person and think about all and how this happens? Have you not seen the birth of a child and gone, or an animal even for that fact, and gone, oh God, you are amazing? Have you not listened to a choir or an instrumental and thought, wow, this is beautiful? Have you not seen a sunset or a painting or something that someone has created and marveled at the wonder that God is? He is the only creator we simply rearrange, but the ability that he has given us to rearrange and make things of beauty is phenomenal. I'll pause here. I had really thought about for a couple of weeks this being the sermon for today, and it wasn't, but I'll just mention it real quickly. Maybe we'll come back to it later. Our current society has abandoned many things. They've abandoned truth. They've abandoned beauty. They've abandoned all types of things. The music isn't what it used to be. The artistry isn't what it has been. The complex writing and pose isn't, prose isn't what it used to be. And so on and so forth. In fact, you can look everywhere and see a great decline in what we would call our artistic culture and our culture in general. And in fact, we can even see a shunning of those things. You know what that means for us as believers? It's there for us to pick up and take. Our society says we don't care about truth. Well, let's pick it up and use it. Our society says we're going to trade what used to be beautiful works of art for these random circles drawn on a canvas. Well, let's make it beautiful again. God has given us a great ability to go out and, and to reorganize and create as he's given us the ability to do amazing and wonderful and beautiful things, whether that's singing a song, whether that's painting, whether that's uh, doing a skill or a trade, whatever it is that he's given us, as the world has abandoned all of that and lost sight of God, then let us as believers pick those things up and pursue excellence and do well since they're just abandoned by our culture. We have a great opportunity The works of the Lord are great. We ought to not only be praising them, we ought to be engaged of them. And this talks about, it says, the works of the Lord are great. Um, Sought out all of them or seek out all of them and have pleasure within. See, we're supposed to study them. We're supposed to seek them out. This is what God has given us. He's given us the ability to understand and to know things. Limited, although it is, we have the ability to do these things and we should engage in them. Are you searching out the great works of the Lord? Are you looking into the eyes of another and thinking about how God created them? 
Are you looking out at the world and thinking about what God has done? Are you pondering these things? Are you studying them? Are you delighting in them? Brothers and sisters, that is what we are made to do. That's why God assigned Adam the task of naming the animals and caring for the garden. We are to be studying and involved and engaged in the things that God has given us. And he has given us so much and we should have pleasure in these things. It's very easy for us to get wrapped up in our daily life that just goes fast and fast and the next thing you know, I've, I've lost sight of anything. I've eaten my food so fast I don't enjoy it. I've multitasked too much. I don't enjoy the thing that I'm engaged in. Brothers and sisters, let us slow down. Let us take pleasure in the great things that God has done for us. And that will lead to praise. That will lead to praise. Verse 3, His work is honorable and glorious, and His righteousness endures forever. Another translation says, Splendid and majestic is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. Well, what is that work that He has done? Well, the greatest work He's ever done is Jesus Christ. The greatest work He ever did was to pay for our sins, was to provide a way for me to know Him and the free pardon of sin through the sacrifice of a loving God, of His only Son, who was obedient to Him and who is and was and will be righteous. And because of Christ's sacrifice, I can inherit that righteousness that I could not earn, that I could not get in any other way, that I could not finally ever be forgiven for or pay for, but I had to rest only in the free sacrifice of a righteous and holy God-made man, Jesus Christ. And so when we think about praising Him, we think about lifting Him up, let us remember His honorable and glorious work and His righteousness that He has given, not only through Jesus Christ, but to us. It goes on in verse 4 and says, He has made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Basically, it says He has made a memorial for us. A memorial of his wonderful works. Again, I don't know why I keep reminding us of all this, but we go all through Scripture and we see memorials. We see pillars and stones set up. We see markers set aside. We see um, songs sung about certain events. We see holidays and customs that have been set out. And all of that is to memorialize or to remember the things that God has done for us. We set up some memorials in our lives. Sometimes for birthdays, sometimes for anniversaries, sometimes for special dates. Do we memorialize the things that God has done for us? Do we remember and set up a marker saying, this is the day that God provided X. This is the day that God met me in a need and in a way and at a time. Maybe it was a tragedy in my life, but a time I will always remember that God was there and God was with me and God was in me and I don't ever want to forget it. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. That's why he does good things for us. The wonderful works and deeds of the Lord are not to be forgotten. They are to be encouragements our faith as we move forward. So we don't encourage people very often to look back. Scripture tells us as much. You put your hand to the plow and you look ahead or you start going off. We've talked about this before. But what should ever be in our mind is the way that God has been there for us in the past. And it provides encouragement and guidance. 
as we move forward. We must remember these things. We must share these things. And how much better off would our focus be, or how much better off would our lives be if our focus was on the things that he's done? Let's think about this for just a minute. How often do we ponder about the things that God has done for us compared to how often do we wonder about how we can get rich or get this task done or get this friend or get whatever it is that we think we need in our lives? I must confess, this is certainly a challenge for me, but it would do me well to be more quiet more often and to sit and to think and to remember and to memorialize the things that God has done for me. And when he moves upon me in the quiet, then I should share that with those who I have an opportunity to share with. I'll be traveling back up to Ohio in a few, well, not too long. And one of the things that I want to do is to go visit with a friend of mine who is a great mentor to me. I haven't had his contact number in many years. I mean, I attended church with him uh, quite a few times, and we worked together. And I want to go back, and I want to do it in person, and I want to tell him about the wonderful things that he taught me. And I want to memorialize his work for the Lord. Because we would walk together in our job, and he would challenge me about my views, and about my beliefs. He would ask me about my walk with the Lord. He would open Scripture to me. He did that while he was just working, let alone when we were in church together. And I'm thankful for what he did. I remember how he impacted my life. And I finally got his email address, and we're going to talk soon. Brothers and sisters, this is important to remember what God has done for us. It's important to be full of love for these things. It's important to share these things. It's important to look back and remember the lessons that we've learned in the times that God has been faithful, in the friends and ways that he has provided, in the struggles and in the good times, and remember moving forward so we have faith to continue our walk with him. Verse 5 says, He has given meat unto them that fear him, and he will never be mindful of, He will ever be mindful of his covenant. This idea that he has given us food or meat, he's given us everything that we need. Everything that we need. I understand that in our day and time, I stand here today and I can say that very easily, can't I? Because you're looking at somebody who's never really been hungry and probably somebody who's never really been needful. I've been wantful, but I don't think I've ever truly been needful. Does that make sense? You understand the difference? Oh, we've all wanted things. We still want things. But very few of us today have ever actually needed anything. Let us never forget that God has given us everything that we truly need. I have met people who have been in need. And you know what? They say the same thing, though. God has supplied their very needs. The scripture reveals that he supplies all of the things that we need, all the meat that we need. When the children of Israel marched into the desert and they were hungry, God provided manna and they ate and were full and were satisfied except for their flesh. See, their desire was for more. Y'all remember what happens, I'm sure. God sent quail because they wanted meat and they got sick eating it. God was teaching us a lesson. God was teaching them a lesson that we can apply today, rather. 
And that lesson is very simple. He supplies the things that we need. We may not be satisfied personally with what he supplies, but we should be. We must depend upon him. He has given us everything that we need. And all too often, we go after the things that we want. Notice also who he gives it to, those who fear him. What does that mean? That doesn't mean fear is in I'm scared of someone, quite literally the way that we would think of it today. The word fear means those who respect and give him reverence. Those of us who know him and give him honor for who he is, who fear him in the proper sense and have the proper place of God in our lives, he will provide the needs that we have. So here's an interesting question. If you feel like you have great needs in your life, legitimate needs, do you have the proper fear of God in your life? Something we can examine. And then we are reminded that he will ever be mindful of his covenant. What covenant is this? What covenant is it that we are ever to remember that he is always mindful of? How about Deuteronomy 31 and 6? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave or forsake you. God will never leave or forsake you. Never. Never leave or forsake you. He reminds us that John 14, 16. I will ask the Father and He will send, give you another helper to be with you forever. So the Holy Spirit of God, for those of us who know Him, indwells in us and is our helper when all the time he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. And the Hebrew letter at almost the other end of the scripture reminds us, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. We can go after a lot of things and we can feel pretty helpless, but we are to be reminded of his great covenant, which is he will never leave us. That is encouragement that we should have. And that is something that I think going back to the first verse, we should praise him for and remind other brothers and sisters when they are low that he will never leave us. When we are struggling, when we think we are in need, when we may actually be in need, we are to be reminded that he has a covenant that he will never leave us. So you may ask me, well, it doesn't feel like he's here. It doesn't feel like he's in my life today. Let me remind you of how I always view this. We're always the ones who do the leaving. He's always the aggrieved party. We're always the one who follows after the idols. We're always the one who walks away. Brothers and sisters, he's always there wanting us back. Maybe you think you've done too much wrong to come back. That's not true at all. Look at so many we see in the scriptures. God is waiting and eager to take you. He wants you to come back. No matter how many times you've offended him, no matter how many times you've betrayed him, no matter how many times you've set up another idol over him, God is always wanting you to come back because he's always with you. Do not put off coming back to God because you feel some type of guilt or some type of shame or think that you are unworthy. He sacrificed the life of his only son 
to have you and to make you his special, his peculiar possession. If you remember the sermon from a year or so ago, to make you the apple of his eye. He wants you desperately. He just needs you to return because he will never, ever leave or forsake you. In verse 6, it continues, He hath shown his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The heritage is this idea of a physical manifestation. And if we're looking at the Old Testament before Christ came, then this certainly would have been true, where God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation and give you a great land. And we see that going all the way through. And look at what we have today, which is even better than a physical possession. We have a spiritual inheritance. God has given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. How long? Forever. I don't have to go to a specific place to worship God. I don't have to face a certain direction. I don't have to say specific anything. All I have to do is let the Spirit that God gave me and is living inside of me and is manifesting or making obvious in my life the fact that it's here and look unto God. What a better gift. That's why the Scripture calls it a better gift in a better way. The heritage, the possession that we have is God. If you ever feel poor, think about who your dad is. Owns a cattle on a thousand hills. If you ever feel unloved, think about who your holy father is. If you ever feel betrayed by somebody, think about the one who never betrays you. Brothers and sisters, there is so much for us to be encouraged about. There is so much for us to give him praise. We have a heritage, something that lasts more than anything else. I read recently Luke 12 and 32. Do not fear, O little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. I'll add a few words in here. Do not fear, O little undeserving flock. It gives the Father good pleasure to give it to you. It means everything that he has, he wants to give it to you. Is that not cause for praise? Is that not a reason to stand up and say, thank you, God, for giving everything you have to me. Thank you for giving me not only everything that you have, but a Holy Spirit to live and to guide me, someone who I can go to at all hours and all time of the day, who knows me better than I can possibly know myself. Thank you for giving me the scripture that I have before me to preach from. Thank you for giving me this church. Thank you for giving me brothers and sisters who unite together to fellowship with each other, to raise our voices together, and to give you praise. Thank you, thank you, God, for everything that you've given me. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commands are sure. Better way to might phrase this. The works of his hands are truth and justice. And all his precepts are sure or established or reliable or trustworthy. In other words, the scripture that God has given us, the commands that he gives us are sure things. They are truth. They are justice. They are reflections of who in fact he is. Remember and always remember, if I've taught you a few things, remember this. Remember the attributes of God and that God is not a little bit of justice and a little bit of peace and a little bit of mercy. God is those very things. God is justice, and God is power. God is truth. 
and he has given those things to us. And we are to know that they are trustworthy. We are to know them by the expressions of the scripture. We are to know them by the truths that he speaks to the spirit of God in our hearts and in our lives. We are to be thankful for them. We are to see them as truth and justice. God makes no mistakes and there is nothing, nothing useless that he does. He's done everything for a purpose. Everything in good time is for his pleasure. The works of his hands are truth and justice. Let me challenge us just for a minute. What are the works of your hands? Are they truth and justice? Are they honorable? When you go out into your school or your community or to your place of work, are you speaking truth and justice? Are you speaking lies? Are you speaking about an almighty God or are you speaking about everything but that? As I mentioned, I have great concern over our culture, but I think we have a great opportunity as believers to pick up the things that the world has left behind and to carry his banner forward and to say there is beauty and there is truth and there is justice and I'm going to live these things out according to how God has called me. Another dear mentor that I'll also get to see in a couple weeks I've introduced you to some of his work in the past, but he still writes. Mid-80s. And he'll write about God all the time. He sends them to me. And a couple years ago, he sent me this one. And in there, in the midst of this little one page was this line. He said, there's a, a poverty of, of insignificance. I'm sorry, there's a poverty of significance in our culture. And by that, what he was saying is most of what we produce and do doesn't really matter anymore. We think about that. Most of what we spend our time on doesn't last. Most of what we focus on doesn't last. Most of what we do doesn't last. And I'm not talking about as in it doesn't matter in 100 years from now. I mean, most of what we spend our time doing won't matter tomorrow. There's a poverty of significance in our culture and in our country. And because of that, we should focus on the things that are significant. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is on his truth. That is on his power. That is on his justice. That is who he is. That is on the Holy Spirit living inside of us to fulfill his work. You know, something that will never be in poverty, something that will never be in want, the word of the Lord. You know, something that will never return void, the word of the Lord. The scripture has given us clear guidance on what we should focus our lives on. And the question is, are we doing that? Are we spending our time on things that last forever? Or are we spending all of our time on things that just don't really matter? We must be about our father's business. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. His purpose, his commands that the previous verse was talking about, the course of action that he desires stands forever. God does not change. There is no shadow of turning within him. This is another area, as you can see the theme within this chapter, that we should praise him, that we can be sure that his commands are good and right and forever. We can be sure uh, that his covenant is good and right and forever. And we can be sure that his truth is good and right and forever. 
And we can take confidence in these things and move forward in our lives. He has sent redemption unto his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Brothers and sisters, he has redeemed us. What does that mean? It means that he has paid a price for us. God has literally purchased you with the price of his son. You owe everything to him, both in duty and of right. And all too often we hold it back. All too often we fail to praise him like we should. All too often we fail to act in the ways that he wants us to. All too often we forget his covenant. We forget his justice. We forget his power. We forget his manifestation. All too often we forget the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and ignore it and move on about our lives. Brothers and sisters, we must remember that he has purchased us with his very life. And he has commanded us to be holy like he is. Because he is holy, that means set apart. His name is precious. And we come to a conclusion in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all thy to do in thy commandments. His praise endureth forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? The beginning. It's a prerequisite. It means if you want to be wise, if you want to have wisdom, then you must first start by fearing God. If you want to understand all that God has given, if you want to be able to praise Him, you must start by fearing Him. If you want to stand in awe and wonder spiritually at the things that God has made, then you must begin by fearing Him. If you want to, as you focus on whatever your task is in life and see the beauty in the life inside of someone else's eyes when you meet them, to understand that we are all human, to create masterful and wonderful things and have the proper perspective for them, all of that begins with the fear of the Lord. All of that begins with salvation. That point when you come before an almighty God and you realize, as we heard about this morning, that, he, that you are a sinner and we realize that he has paid the way and we have to come to him confessing our sins, believing in him unto the point of salvation. That is when the fear begins. That is when your life begins. Yeah. The fear of God, the fear of Jehovah is the prerequisite. It's the requirement for wisdom. It's absolutely essential. And a good understanding or a teachable heart are possessed by all of those who do the will of the Lord. You see, once you have fear, that leads to wisdom. And once you have wisdom, you want to know what the scripture tells you. You want to talk with him. You want to spend time with him. You want him to lead and to guide you. Why? Because you know all the promises that we just mentioned. You know that he has a good covenant for you. You know that he is truth. You know that he is justice. And you will want to desire to do as he commands. It doesn't make it easy. We trip up. We slow down. As I said, we're always the one who does the leaving. But that will be the desire for us is to do the will of the Lord. And then we are reminded in the foundation of all this, His praise endureth forever. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be challenged by this chapter. We ought to be simultaneously encouraged by this chapter. 
We ought to see more and more of how our God loves us. And how if we want to have anything in life, if we want to be satisfied, if we want to be confident in his covenant, if we want to have truth and justice, if we want to have the manifestation of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, then we must know him for the first time. We must have his righteousness that only he can give through salvation. And we must understand that fearing him and being obedient to him will lead to all these other things in wisdom. And for those of us who have experienced that, we must stand on these things and we must verbally, physically, and sometimes silently, whatever God tells you to do, give him the praise for these things. Because none of us accomplish this on our own. None of us saved ourselves. None of us got our life straight on our own accord. It's all been because of him. The beauty we see, the righteousness that's there, we owe him everything and are to give him praise for everything.